Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the Data-Driven Security Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 26. My name is Jay Jacobs and joining me as usual is Bob Rudis. Bob, you've been uh, you've been busy. What have you been up to? Been a crazy busy but but awesome week. I had a chance to see Lane Harrison. Uh, people might recognize that name from previous podcast episodes. He is a uh, professor over at WPI Worcester Polytechnic Institute. I just like saying Worcester because it's a great name. Worcester. And uh, he had me come over to do a three to four hour. It was about three and a half hour R workshop for the folks in the biology, cyber, and visualization departments there. That sounds fun. So how many people were there? Uh, so 75 signed up. Wow. I think around 58 showed up. So it was a pretty massive, massive audience. Uh, I really didn't expect that many w- would come, but it was yeah. amazing to see that many people interested in learning more about R. Was it a, a free thing? Like they just signed up and showed up or was yeah. there a charge? It was a wow. totally, totally free internal. So it was university only. There, there weren't external people. And it was a mixture of undergrads, graduate students, and professors. Uh, there were actually four or five professors um, wow. in, in the workshop, which was awesome. And how, how were they? Were they an unruly bunch or were they pretty much glued on your every word? I would say somewhere in between. Uh, what was <laughs> no, what was really awesome though, is that there were a number of people who already had some experience working in R. I didn't, you know, from talking with Lane, I didn't really get the sense that there was a lot of R going on there, but a lot of the, the bio students especially were already doing work in R, you know, because R's got some great packages to actually do work with, with biology data. Yeah. They were asking some really interesting questions, but there were some folks there that had no programming experience at all, some who had Python experience, Again, some people who are just kind of novices but working in R, and it was really kind of neat to try to reach and talk to each of those folks about some of the basic you know stuff that R can do for, from a data analysis perspective. So did you did you start with essentially start at square one and and introduce people to the, the format and the syntax and all that, and then end up at at dplyr or ggplot? Yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. Matter of fact, we'll we'll shoot a link out to all the listeners. The entire workshop. Uh, notes, which actually ended up being about a forty-page book um, <laughs> on 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 how to do some of this stuff, is is was a handout for them that they kind of walked through with me. The one thing that um, I was pretty adamant about doing, and I did do there, is we didn't use any of the built-in R data sets except once with an initial thing to kind of show them how cool R is. So we just had them do a a, a scatter plot matrix for for empty cars just so they could see some of the cool stuff R could do. Okay. But we actually ended up using real data. It was actually real weather data. It was temperature extremes, uh, min and max for for basically going back until the until the recorded history of temperature extremes for both where I live and the Worcester area. So I tried to make it relevant to them, you know, just nice. to kind of have some fun and work with real data with ugly NAs that ended up causing some problems, but it was still fun. So yeah, that's good. I mean, that that's part of the challenge with teaching, right? That you always get this clean, pristine data, and then you get out in the real world, and it's you know you're lost. Like you don't know what all this weird, ugly data is. Yeah. So they and I I think they got a good overview of what it was like to to do some of the data acquisition and cleaning. And I really wanted to show them some of the operations in ggplot. And we didn't talk about much else besides ggplot from a plotting perspective. And I, I think they got a good foundation and I think it'll be a good reference for them kind of going forward. Sounds like it. Now you're you're also teaching a course, right, this semester? Yes, I, I actually spent most of the previous day uh, making sure that all my notes for the first class were ready to go. I'm uh, we're, I'm teaching uh, the first of a, th- a series of courses in a certificate 
in the college system of New Hampshire on elements of data science, and the whole thing ends up being a, a certificate in data science if, if everyone goes through it all. And how many courses are in the certificate? Uh, right now, there's three for this initial one, but uh, Mary, my, my wife, who is actually in charge of the math department, is um, she, <laughs> so she, there's no, no nepotism there. There's zero that. nepotism here whatsoever. It's also weird having her as my boss now, so I don't know how that's actually going to work. Is that is that different than normal? Wow. Yeah, probably not, actually. And she, and she <laughs> listens to this, so now, now I'm in for it. Yeah. Sorry about that. Sorry, Mary. <laughs> the, um, no, she she's actually working on trying to get an entire associate's degree in data science going, so it's going to go beyond a certificate. Nice to that. And she's working with, I, I think they're called articulation agreements. I, I don't understand all the lingo with these universities, but she uh, she's working on articulation agreements with UNH, uh, University of Southern Maine, and a couple other places so that there's a way to go right into the BS degrees okay. um, there as well. And actually with that, folks are uh, would probably like to be interested in this. The, so Worcester Polytechnic Institute, I just love saying that. Uh, they have <laughs> bachelor's degree master's degree and PhD in data science there. Yep. And the Reddit's out of Boston. Uh, it's it's a it's a little out of Boston. I mean, I, I it, Sorry. Yeah. 45 minutes to an hour away from Yeah, Boston. it's like, I mean, it's it's a it's a little bit of a commute, but it looks like a really impressive program. So folks that are interested should probably go check that out cuz like And plus Lane is there. Hey, well, yeah, I mean, definitely. You know. He he is the man, right? So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we have uh we have a special uh, set of interviews for this podcast recorded. Yeah, I I had an opportunity. Uh, my entire team, extended team, so my boss and my peers were all in Boston for the Rapid7 Global Kickoff. They fly everybody in twi- every, uh, every two years to have, you know, kind of a, a great meeting to, to get started for the year. And I had them, I had a chance to get them into, into groups. I couldn't get them all together at the same time to give folks a peek behind the data science curtain at Rapid7, not from a product perspective, um, then you know the podcast isn't an, isn't really a place to kind of show those kind of things. It's more of to give folks an understanding of what folks are thinking about in my organization from the top down, from the person who runs everything to the data science that do the everyday work, about what they how they view data science and some of the challenges and and things that they see going on in data science. I thought it'd be kind of interesting if folks could hear that. And this is our first foray into live recording. Right, usually we've got our our desktops and over the internet and stuff like that, but this is our first in person interview. I brought my little Tascam recorder with me and you're going to hear all the the Boston background traffic and all the tra- and all the other conversations going on in the other rooms, but I think that you know people being on the spot and and actually being asked those questions directly, you're going to get some some pretty good feedback from them on on what they really feel. This wasn't staged at all. The, like these these folks were asking questions live and on the spot. So it was it was a challenge, but it was fun. Okay. Great. So I uh, got three folks together, Taz, and I can't pronounce his last name, only he can pronounce his last name. It's, it's Greek to me. Uh, L- L- Lane Holloway and John Wallman. Uh, the, so Taz is in charge of, of everything in data science at, at Rapid7, and, and Lane and John um, are both uh, major players in the data science program there. And I sat down with them and I asked them why they thought data science was so important to security, especially with all the, the focus that Rapid7 has on that. Uh, so I'm Tas Dukumrakis, the uh, CTO co-founder of Rapid7. Uh, when you think about data science, really, and data in general, uh, we, all of our people are, are inundated with mountains of data. Uh, and it's really, uh, again, I'm getting into the very generic buzzwords here, but uh, you know, you, you've got to sift through that data uh, efficiently to be able to make decisions. And, and again, we have to be able to let the data drive our decision process to be effective. 
And, uh, you know, too often we hear, you know, I, I actually, I'll simplify it even uh, better. You know, it's, it's funny to see just the change in perspective when somebody, you get, hand somebody a 500-page report of things to do, and they all legitimately might be things to do, versus an, a report with five items uh, to do. Uh, you know, they'll actually be much more receptive to the five items, even though there's going to be 50 more five-item reports behind it. Cool. Okay, so I'm Blaine Holloway, Principal Portfolio Architect. I work at 7, I work for TOS in Office of the CTO. And I really believe data science is truly the best way to dig through the mountains of data that you get. And you think about how everything is very data-driven now. You think about LinkedIn, you think about Netflix, you think about all the events they generate. And that's just clicking on something, uh, watching a video, and then think about it from a security perspective. You have your firewalls, you have uh, all sorts of network traffic, and we're logging all of this data, all these logs, every log from every system, and you're pushing this into a data source, and you're gathering mountains of data, terabytes of data, you know, days, weeks. How do you truly go through all of that and pick out what is the good points that you must focus on or need to focus on. And that's really where data science comes into play, to be able to look over this copious amounts of data and clean out the important parts and to give yourself actionable data. And it's really about trying to, not worry about the technology, but trying to drive towards the answer. You need to solve a problem. Uh, the technology is really, doesn't really matter, but data science is the best you know, overall technology and theme is how to get to that data. Hi, I'm John Woolman. I'm the Director of Data Architecture here at Rapid7 in the office of the CTO, and I help run the uh, data team here that focuses on data science projects. Um, so why is, why is data science important to me and, and important in the security industry is um, there are Consumers, our, our customers out there, they're really interested in this information, really important, really interested in what's important to them. And actually making those, uh, those types of analysis is actually fairly difficult. Right now in the security industry, we've been relying upon uh, really simple aggregations for the most part. And uh, data science actually goes beyond that and helps us correlate all sorts of interesting activity to come up with a sort of new and different insights into the data. So. That's what we're looking to do. So do you, do you think that uh, it's going to be possible in like the next three to five years for organizations to be able to manage security effectively in their organizations without some elements of data science being infused into the work that they do? Anyone can go. I'll start. Uh, so this is to us. Um, and uh, I'd say no. Uh, it's impossible for them to really make real progress without applying some data science. And, you know, there's a lot of aspects to it. There's really the, again, the mountains of data, as we've talked about, and I won't even get into all of the just, you know, ideally uh, better ways to find what's going on in your environment, but even just from a personnel perspective, really resource planning and so on. I mean, there's so much, uh, you know, productivity improvements we can get when we start applying, um, you know, the science behind this to, to see kind of, okay, where do we, you know, how do we focus people? How do we think about people? How do we build the right teams to be able to d deliver what we need. Okay, this is Lane. I say, you know, looking at it and it even like generic as like a data science in general, you have to have it. I mean, everything's becoming that. Everything's becoming store the data, get the data. I want to learn about my organization. So regardless of security or not, you know, security is the biggest one because there's so much data that's generated because it's everything. If you think about wanting to do fraud reporting, 
how do you truly figure out fraud? How do you figure out click fraud? You know, you think about like the consumer perspective or even like a website like Target or HomeAway or one of the uh, vacation rentals. Like there's so much stuff coming in and fraud detection is very important. You know, security becomes important. How do you tell this is a false person? Is this somebody fishing for information? How do you do that? You have to know, do analysis on these emails, do analysis on this. And it takes a lot of really smart people who understand data science, understand the techniques of it to say, there's no longer rules that are very easy to write and say, if this says this, then this is the answer. And you know, data science is the thing now. So this is John. Um, it, I guess the question is really, are, is, are, are security programs really effectively used today? Um, some places, yes, and uh, some places, most places, no. The surface area of a, a company's network has really increased over the, the years, and um, using data science to actually try and distill those problems more effectively is really the key, and not uh, deluge uh, users with a mountain of information that they're not going to be able to plow through, but really provide the, the salient insights uh, to the user to effectively perfor uh, perform their, their jobs and uh, tighten up security on their networks. So over the next three to five years, absolutely is uh, data science going to be able to address those issues much more effectively than uh, current security products out there in the market today. So you all have three different backgrounds, and I'll be really curious to see what your, your answers to this are. So if we, you could tell an enterprise or a small org or you know, any size org, if it, what is the one thing that they should start doing with regard to security stuff and data science if they're not doing anything at all right now, um, besides purchase Rapid7 products, because we, we have those and we can help you guys out, uh, what would be those things that, that you think that they should do, or what, what is that one thing you think they should do? So this is John. Uh, my start with step one is really collecting data and um, hopefully, be, hopefully be able to um, help us structure data a little bit better by you know tagging information more effectively. So that's, um, and really uh, just Collecting a ton of data, it really helps us uh, uh, get started on that process of uh, being able to analyze it, just having that data set there. Cool. Hey, this is Lane, and I would say, echoing John, collecting data is very important. But your second step, or even like you know, step one might be getting people who are interested in data science and interested in learning new technologies and interested in really delving into the problem and realizing that you know, the water's murky. Data science is awesome, but it's also murky. It's still kind of new. And get people who aren't afraid to dive in, aren't afraid to have failures, able to step back and go, oh, what did I do? What was wrong? And go at it again and try and get that answer. And it's just the, you want the curiosity, the people who are curious about it to really help. This is Tossin. Uh, actually, you know, again, I, I always look at security as it's people, process, technology, and we've touched a little bit on people uh, and I guess technology. I'm not going to touch process though, uh, but really what I am going to say is going back to the people, uh, you know, because the people I think is the biggest deal. And what I find to be really the best way to think about it is get security people and non-security people uh, working on the data science team. So as you're building up a data science team, you really want to have folks who understand security well, but frankly, we're jaded in security, we're, we're uh, pessimists in security. So you also want the ones who know nothing about security but know data science, and let those two guys fight it out, because I think that's where you really start getting you know, some really real magic happening. Well, Bob, that was a little bit high level, 
you also were able to sit down with some of the more technical people, correct? Right. Um, the the rest of the folks that I had a chance to were the ones that were still available. They do actually more of the hardcore data science at Rapid7, and it was good to get their perspective at a more technical level. Yeah, so when I when I got a hold of Sachin, uh, Roy, and Aditya, and you guys can find all their names in the show notes, the uh, I wanted to have an understanding from them you know, what got them into data science, you know, what was in their head that made them want to actually do this, this crazy thing for a living. Um, and, you know, what are the major things that they think that data science can solve? Hey, I'm uh, Sachin Agurungan. I'm a data scientist here at Rapid7. And uh, I got into data science primarily through computational neuroscience. And I was doing a lot of research on understanding how the brain works and um, using what we know about the brain um, to inform new machine learning algorithms. And um, I, through, this, through this kind of process, I have become really interested in understanding how we can use and enable data science in areas outside of kind of the canonical um, kind of disciplines of computer science, like image recognition or whatever. Um, and so from kind of biology, I moved to venture capital and um, then to security. And what's been really amazing um, about uh, kind of uh, applying data science to security is that I've been coming up of, with really, really new problems that you don't really find in other, other disciplines, right? Um, like the idea that, you know, when you're training models to detect attacks on a network, there aren't that many examples of um, true, true attack patterns, right? And there are a bunch of examples of benign activity. And so how do you train models on biased data? Right? And so that's a very kind of theoretical idea that you know, you're not really exposed to in other disciplines. And that's what really excites me about security. Um, I, I think that data science will allow um, security professionals to um, kind of automate the things that they don't like doing, um, you know, sifting through tons of um, logs and um, to, to find attacks. And I think that, you know, um, data science will be kind of this um, background filtering process for security professionals. Um, I don't think it's going to be a silver bullet solution for um, a lot of problems because there are a bunch of caveats um, based on kind of what I was talking about, the kind of the essence of security data where you have a lot of bias and stuff. But um, I think that the community is really going to benefit from automation of um, kind of filtering. Cool. Um. Aditya, so, so get, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background in, in this data science thing and your thoughts so, about it? So, hi, my name is, <clears throat> my name is sorry, yeah. I'm Aditya, I'm data scientist in Rapid7. Basically, I, I came, I've been working in security for a long time, like I, I was mostly part with Boeing, RSA and most of the research groups in them. And, uh, and so, the, as, as I work with them, I felt, I realized like, you know, most of the security problems are human problems. And modeling human is uh, modeling an attacker or a defender or a detection technique is purely from a human perspective is a hard problem to solve. If you use any type of algorithm or any type of existing systems, it is a hard problem. So uh, that excited me to migrate myself from a purely from a research uh, security research into a ML and data science specific research. That was the main motivation for me to come into data science. The second thing is like the security suffer, security industry as well as academia suffers from one big thing, real, lack of relevant data sets because 
the, the day if you sample, uh, uh, let's say, six months of uh, data, data, and then you 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 learn from learn from that data, and you move and try to use that inferences or that model to, let's say, next two months, things change because attackers keep moving fast. So the detection techniques have to move fast, and in order to reach there, the only way or one of the way to reach there is using a automated. Uh, ML uh, uh, ML models, which can help you to reach there. Second, uh, first one is that, and not many industry uh, industries have this adversarial machine learning. So that is one one thing because uh, in order to uh, uh, when I talk to a lot of finance folks, uh, data scientists in finance industry or in aerospace industry, those guys they build their models and they are okay with it because they have never seen their model fail once they get stabilized unless you you tweak the parameters then of you know going further but in security it's totally different because uh, there are threat models you have to create for your model which i don't see much in others other systems so that is one other interesting thing i feel like you know that's fun to do like you know you as you're not purely from the data science perspective only create models but you have to think in the attacker perspective as well when you create your model so that yeah, is we, we actually have intelligent adversaries yeah so so they can attack your system so attack not only your system but your model how you are trying to defend it so that's that's kind of cool to do it you know that's that's what keeps me doing stuff what i do yeah cool right Hi, uh, yeah, so I'm Roy Hodgman. Um, I got into security data science almost by accident. Uh, I got into security in, in college and grad school and then worked at a security company for a long time and was sent to one of our foreign offices that specialized in using machine learning to identify fraud. And uh, after that exposure to applying machine learning to a, a particular security problem, um, it sort of got a hold of me. And that's, that's why I continue to work in uh, security data science today. Um, I think one of the things that uh, security or data science can really help with in a uh, security um, field is providing context. We talk a lot about um, having a, a security a machine learning model solve a particular problem, and we talk about uh, security problems, but I don't think the two really are aligned. Um, I think yeah. that uh, machine learning models are good at providing little bits of context that will help um, build up a clearer picture about what's happening in a security situation. I, I really, I'm very skeptical when we talk about applying machine learning to solving a big security problem, and much more positive about applying machine learning, data science, to solving very small, little point problems that, in aggregate, help us solve big security problems. So on the RSA floor in a couple weeks, when all these folks have machine learning in a box, you just stick it in your perimeter and it solves your problems, that's never going to be a thing. No, I, no, it'll be a thing. I mean, people will sell it and people will buy it. Um, but I don't know that it will uh, achieve the level of success that either the seller thinks it will or the buyer thinks that it will. But it will go a long way towards figuring out, or help, I believe, hopefully, that it will go a long way towards helping people figure out what uh, data science and machine learning are not very good at and will help vendors and purchasers refine their um, expectations for what machine learning can do. And that we'll get to a place where the vendors at the, at the um, show floor at RSA are selling things that are more realistic in three, five, ten years. So adding to the same thing, like if you see any of the deep learning models, all are benchmarked on Iris dataset, uh, or not the Iris, MSIT dataset, which is like, yeah, handwritten recognition dataset, and most of the benchmarks are done that way. And if you do the same thing for our security datasets, like the Lincoln one, which is released by MIT in 1999, 
No, every model will catch it, but the model which is real time will not catch it now because that's the relevance of the data sets are and relevance of the model as as it evolves is very much important in our in our security domain. That's for sure. Yes, yeah, so like so our 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 needs are changing so fast. We have such dynamic adversaries that we constantly need to have new data in and keep relooking and tweaking and, yeah. and you know working with the models to ensure that they're more accurate yeah, over time. Yeah, that's true. And I think we've taken kind of a perspective at Rapid Seven that um, when we're applying to data science to security problems, um, we don't see data science as the one stop yeah. solution or the silver bullet solution to whatever problem we're working on. Um, sometimes we consider um, data science as a tool for us mm -hmm. to filter out the noise and just filter out all the kind of um, um, uh, false positives or something that um, may occur in our data. And so that's easier for uh, security professionals, maybe incident response people to, uh, I don't know, get to a solution faster than they would have normally. Gotcha. And in other domains, like you don't need a domain knowledge to become a data scientist in any other domain, but in security you need to most, at least some some part, you need to understand the, how the security as such work and the domain knowledge is very important when you look at the data to understand and make references. That That is one other thing. I would argue that you need domain knowledge in, in most applications of machine learning, but in particular in security. You need more, it, okay. It, yeah. it is, uh, Necessary. Yeah, necessary. Yeah, that, that's a right way to put it. So the the one thing that I thought of as you guys were saying, and especially your what you were saying, um, and going back to some of the things like we we've been talking internally about a lot of things this week uh, at Rapid Seven, but the the industry is going to put machine learning in a box. I mean, you 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 hear it now, and I, I'm sure there will be something like that on the RSA floor if there wasn't already some last year. Uh, and those are probably going to fail pretty hard, and a lot of the anomaly detection stuff that people are rolling out, and some of the various things that you just see, I mean, they're going to fail. And if you take a look at things in the past, like we'll use NAC as an example, you know, neat idea potentially, really hard to implement, and kind of considered a failure because it really doesn't happen at, mo at most organizations. And you know, when we when we security folk start start to smell something is really bad, we tend to just throw everything out, and like you don't see NAC deployed for that reason. So. You know, if, if we have these failed machine learning, you know, platforms that people try to roll out, or if internally teams start to do some things and they don't have the rigor, you know, the, the background training that, like, that some of you folks do when they're just taking some online courses and they may get mixed up sometimes, and they don't have a good feedback loop from other team members who might be more senior in it, I mean, do you see a potential where folks could do a, a complete 180 and turn on this data science machine learning and say this isn't even worth trying to do in organizations? I, I think that happens like you said, a lot with uh, technologies that aren't, I, I, this is going to sound a little weird, aren't um, honestly explained to the consumer, right? You're going to see a lot of machine learning in a box in the next couple of years, but we're not really, we're not going to be able to tell very clearly what about the box is machine learning because after the data scientists at you know XYZ Security Corp come up with some cool model and it goes out to the products group and goes through marketing, what comes out is machine learning in a box, but what we what went in may have been like a very simple model to do something very small. And so when we as security professionals evaluate some other company's um, machine learning in a box, we need to be really careful that we are not evaluating a potential misrepresentation of the technology and throwing everything out. Right? It's, it's important that um, we recognize that many of the things that you'll see at a trade show floor are exaggerated or distorted or um, you know, specific problem of specific data set work. Yeah, or, or they're just they're being marketed to solve a problem with buzzwords that are popular at the time. And like if you got all of the data scientists together at all the 
big or even small uh, security companies, they're all the same. They're all people that are interested in solving good problems, hard problems with good techniques. Nobody wants to create a product that is um, marketed incorrectly and then viewed as a failure, but that's what happens sometimes. Have so, you seen, like, you used to work for RSA, you never saw Archer? Let's not talk about But no, but what I, what I, what I mean is that, um, it, as you identified, we, as in the computer industry and tech industry in general, is very, very quick to pass judgment on things that don't seem to be what they are um, purported to be. And we need to just make sure that when we see machine learning in a box for security, that we recognize that the data scientists who put together the technology that went into the production of that product made it. They were trying to do something good, and they probably have good technology in there, that there has been a transformation of what they created, most likely. I mean, it sounds really cynical, but like, I believe that there will probably have been a transformation. And it's important that we evaluate the underlying machine learning benefit of this product before we like throw it out. And it's going to be hard to do. Like you won't be able to to I'm not going to be able to buy every single machine learning in a box at RSA conference next week and then really dig in and say like, this one little kernel of machine learning is good. It's also especially hard to apply data science in this space because um, like false positives and false negatives are like really uh, detrimental to sure. the end user, right? And so, like, you know, if you have a, if you miss, um, you know, a, a binary that could be a malicious, right, on your system, like that's really horrible. Whereas, you know, if you have a bunch of false positives, if your system is alerting people to anomalies in your system a lot, then that's be really annoying to the end user. And so, I think that um, we really the the successful application of machine learning in this space will really depend on um, how we develop our algorithms um, in the best way possible and how you know advanced we can get with um, our techniques. Well, so so going back to, to what you actually a couple of you were just saying, and I could get I'm, I could get in trouble for actually asking this question. I think to a degree. So, do you think it's important that let's say if and I'll I'll just use us. I won't pick on any other company. If we add a machine learning feature to one of our product lines, you know, if we and, the, and there's some that we are doing right now that we don't, we're not announcing yet, but sh are we responsible then to publish the model behind that, the actual details of the model? Do you think we should be giving that if we're asked by the customer if they want to see what features we're using and things like that? Is that important, or is that something that we 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 don't necessarily have a have a responsibility to disclose? I think we should be honest about what we are providing, right? Like if we if we um, add a machine learning feature to one of our products that uh, differentiates between, say, a Windows machine and an OS X machine. Not that this model would be pretty that useful, but like, if we were to do that, I think it's up to us to say, uh, we're using machine learning to do the following things. We don't have to provide the model, we don't have to tell them what the training set was or the particular technique. What if they ask? Um, then I imagine there's some sort of legal question, or like that has to go through some legal department. But like, what I don't think we should do is um, make out because our machine learning model to be more than it is. If right? you open it up, the attackers will also get back to us because that way your model, how to bypass it is a pretty easy thing. The feature engineering is the biggest problem, at least, at least what we have seen till now. Like, you know, feature engineering is one of the biggest problem. Like, you need to figure out like which are the important features and see that they are there to make a decision. So you can say, say to the customer saying that, see, if these things are not there, 
you don't trust this model. If this is, these are all things are there, then you can with some confidence trust this model. Don't say that, you know, if your Windows your Windows is up and it is up for 12, 12 let's say, take the same example, if it, the OS is up for like 10, uh, one hour or 10 hours, and time is a big feature of uh, deciding factor, then you should say that. Uh, what if you are if the model is failing just tell us like these are the things which were there in your system which will help us to make understand more about the model yeah maybe the features not the features but important features in a not directly but in a good sense you can say them like you know so so is there some potential issue then with so there's a lot of academic work now starting to focus on like you know the cybersecurity data science. Um, I, it's been there for a while, but we're starting to see a lot more organizations publish information on these things, including the features that they learned you know were good from a particular mo a bunch of model attempts that they tried. So they actually in their papers yep. show those things. Is that is that actually detrimental then to security, or is it more important, or is it is it okay because just the knowledge that there are these folks doing things in this field that they they, they went about choosing things a certain way. Good enough, even if they did give the attackers sort of a leg up on how to actually break the model. So, any good paper, security paper, who has done a ML research on it, always try to publish a threat model to it, so that they say that this model will work and will fail, and an attacker wants to do it. And most of the good papers which I've read are have a threat model with the, in the academia. So, that that really helps. Like we should also know as an industry, or you know, when you are selling it as a product, then you should know that where your model fails so that you will have the right decision or the just get the sign up from the stakeholder saying that, you know, yeah, this is good, but this will fail here. Or you can say that these are the minimum conditions we need to make this thing a successful partnership. Yeah, thanks. So. I mean, I think in general, we've sort of landed on the side of openness being uh, the best path for security research. Yeah. Right? Like we publish exploits, we publish uh, papers and give talks at Black Hat and DEF CON about how we break systems, we make that information known. You know, it, it's not necessarily the best business strategy to say, here's my product and here's how to break it, but um, I would favor uh, a, an openness as opposed to closeness in this yep. respect. Um, so one thing we do do pretty well is give give stuff back to the community, both both on the traditional researcher side and now on the data science side. We we give a lot of data away. I mean, people may not realize Sonar is us. I mean, it's hard not to if you just Google Sonar. Or it's like, you know, daily internet scans with a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and we have some other data coming up too. So how important do you feel it is to be giving that data to the community? And and if there is data that you that you do feel is important to give the community, what, what do you think that they should be like looking at in that data? Could you give them some pointers into, into how to work with that data? I'll do it again. So, I'm, I'm going to need a blank space. So, giving back to the community is important. Like you said, we, we, we have a whole research arm that goes and shows how to do vulnerabilities against things. Uh, we also, as a data science site, we have a lot of data too. Like, Sonar is a big project. It is a Rapid7 project that we give a lot of data out with University of Michigan's help. And you know, there's a lot of stuff there, and we're going to be giving away you know, more data over the course of time, too, and probably even some more tools. Um, I guess, A, are there some data you'd like to see us try to give to the community that we aren't now, and, and B, um, with the data that we are providing, do you have some pointers where some folks could start working with that data from a data science -y perspective? Sure. Um, well, in all the research projects that we do where we gather data, I would love to just give it all away. I think it's... It, we make for a better security community when we share the data that we find that will help everybody strengthen their products or, or projects or tools or whatever. 
Um, some of the data I'd like to see us be better about publishing uh, is in relation to uh, Project Heisenberg, where we collect data on honey pots about what um, internet-wide scanners are doing. I mean, we, we have sonar, which scans the internet, but we have Heisenberg, which listens for those types of scans. We, we see ourselves scanning, because that's what we're listening for, and we see other groups scanning as well, but then we see unknown um, entities scanning the internet with um, various purposes and intent, and we get a lot of data about what they're doing. So, um, given enough engineering time and resources and budget and you know sprints, I think it would be really cool to make um, some of that data more available in a regular fashion um, to the rest of the security community. Yep, I think so. Giving out data, giving out to the community is very much needed. I think I give them the right tools to get this data out and parse it well, and then so that they directly use that in their models or whatever, yeah. So like, so like Sonar is an example. Um, it's it's a fairly intimidating data set, yeah. right? I mean, this yeah. is the entire internet and data about the contents of at least the first web page on port 80 and SSL and a whole bunch of other things as well too. So just looking at that, it's fairly daunting. So if folks who may, may have thought to play with it before just didn't because of the fact that they stared at the abyss and decided they didn't want to try to climb down it or up the mountain. Um, what would be like one thing you could suggest to them that they could try to bite off in a you know, very easy to chew sort of way to get started in working with it? Uh, I thought that one pretty easy way to get started working with it was um, uh, th there's one data set about newly registered domains on the internet um, and you know it's it's a pretty large file but it's pretty simple it's like a three column uh, <laughs> three column file with you know time timestamps and particular uh, domain that was registered you know you can load that up into a Python notebook and just uh, start playing around with uh, just distributions and statistical analyses of, of, of that and yeah, I think that's a pretty easy way to get to get going. And to be clear, you said R Studio, right? There. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. <laughs> I have. Uh, I, I'm pretty biased towards Python, so. <laughs> so, Sudicha. So mostly, uh, it's the SSL scans which which come to my mind. You know, it's uh, it's you scan the internet. Basically, SSL has been in use for like last two or three years. It's been like uh, crazily all types of new names come up for each type of attack. And since we have all the certificates, you can find good patterns in it. You know, it's it's not a big data set to have like a couple of uh, GBs, or a couple of GBs to and scan and parsing. They are all in JSON, so parsing is pretty easy. Just find out like how the uh, let's say one simple use case is like you know, since Let's Encrypt has uh, has given everyone a free certificate, so you can see like how the trend is going, as in how many people are using it. And how that people uh, and connect the data set what Sachin has already talked about like how many new domains are using uh, uh, let's encrypt and how much time it has been staying that's a very good insight to have like a, a good a good question to ask and a good answer you can get from simple data set yes. yeah I mean I was going to bring up that data set too it's yeah. 35 to 40 million SSL certificates which is a lot um, but it's a it's in its you know, 12 yeah. gigabytes or something yeah. like that which is not as significant but it's fun to play with and you can. You can make interesting inferences about the use of different uh, hash key hash algorithms and the, yeah. um, the certs. It, it's a cool set. It's but like you were saying before, the port 80, the HTTP set, is huge. It's 75 gigs compressed and many hundreds of gigs uncompressed, and it is daunting. One, one of the things we could do better is um, provide a sample for each of these things, a little randomized sample in each scan, so someone get their their head around the format of the data. And I think we have open source DAP, right? 
Yeah. The app is open source, so how to play around it with this type of data set, which is already zipped, and you want to just run some couple of queries on it? DAP is a good pipeline to use. It's in Ruby, and it can. Do and and, and we actually talk about DAP in the Sonar Wiki too. Yeah, yeah. Things, so, so I think yeah. you know it's a simple way to interact with data set and see what's the shape of it and things like that. And the last thing that I have to say, I I cannot speak highly enough about the JQ command line tool yeah. for processing um, <laughs> uh, JSON structured data. It's fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for taking the time to talk. Well, Bob, that, that's a great discussion in there. And you guys mentioned some data that you're working with uh, specifically around sonar. And could you talk at a little bit more detailed level about what sonar is and how that's available? Sure. And I, I've been surprised at how many people don't really know or work with the sonar data. So, Did you know about it before you started there? I did, actually. I, I had actually started playing with some of that data, I guess, a year-ish before a while. I mean, it was a year plus ago. Uh, when all the SSL stuff was happening, all the people were starting to attack and find really bad things in SSL. Uh, we, we actually had a, a challenge to some folks to try to analyze certificate data, and we pointed them to the Sonar site, but it was, you know, like n not a whole lot of people took us up on that because you sort of need some resources. But l let me talk about what, what actually is there, and it, it's, it's a pretty impressive catalog. So we scan the Internet every day, um, not in a bad way. We, we do everything um, right, completely within the law, and we, which I find really admirable. It, it, it's great that we have that focus. And... No, because the, no, there, it's possible to do things that are really not good, and I'm glad that we that we don't try to push that limit at all. And one 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 thing we do, along with just you know getting the, like what all the responding IPv4 addresses are, is we we do the DNS lookups for all those as well too. So we actually get the you know the reverse DNS for everything, at least that that first level of it, and then we collect all the SSL certificates that respond on on those IP addresses, and it's on on 443. It's TLS and it's IMAP that we actually get the SSL certificates for. So we get a pretty broad survey of what the SSL configurations of the internet look like every single day. We also grab the initial web page that we, we get from a 443 or port 80 hit. So they, the entire text of that web page is also collected and stored as well too. Um, so we, and we basically grab, and then we, we do a little bit more with UDP services as well too. And I'll, I'll point a link out to, to an overview of what the Sonar project looked like. But this actually, this is data going, going back a couple of years and it's daily data going back a couple of years and it's all available for free through, through this Sonar project. Do you know of any projects that have grabbed that data and tried to do things with it already? We have a partnership with the University of Michigan. Folks may, may have heard of scans.io. Uh, so people can kind of go there to at least, you know, b before going to the other stuff we'll give you just to get an overview from there. And they have an interface called Census that it's C-E-N-S-Y-S. -S, so it's one, it's one of those weird web.20 namey things. And they they provide an interesting API and search engine for doing some. So it's not like Shodan because Shodan does more stuff than, than we actually do. And, and, but they, they do provide the ability to kind of look at some of this stuff there. And I, I believe there's a number of academic papers that we haven't been great at cataloging. One of my jobs is to actually go do that, is to catalog all the uses of, of, of our data in various academic papers and m maintain a list of that on the website for folks to go look at. So there have been a number of academic projects that have actually done that too. Yeah, because that's a, it's an incredibly rich data source. It, it is. It's a bit daunting because when, when you, you know, for some of these, they're 60 gigabytes compressed and then uncompressed, they get wicked huge. So this the, the, this is not something that you're going to just sort of play with. Although w one thing that is interesting is that you know this might be a great 
re- research project for someone to get into is how do you do sampling yeah. rather than look at everything, right? And so like, and because we really need it, we really need some definitive approaches for that in cyber. And it'd be great if people could actually take a look at that data and figure out how to do some of that with that. When you say sampling, what what you're talking about is when you have a very very large data set and you can't work with the whole thing, you may figure out a way to pull out just a few of them. If you think about you know, if you're trying to get a feel for everybody in a state, how they're going to vote, well, it'd be great to go ask every single person in the state. You can't do that. You have to sample. Uh, you have to go call, you know, a few hundred or a thousand people and, and talk to them about how they're going to vote. And you're doing that sampling to, to learn about the larger population. And you do the same thing with data. You go and you pull out a few records, hopefully with a very random process, pull out a handful of records or, you know, a few hundred, few thousand, something like that, something that's easier to work with. So you're not dealing with that huge, uh, large sample. So that sampling technique is what you're talking about, right? And and it you know at least with the IPv4 data sets, um, you know we're only talking four billion addresses. So you you can <laughs> only four try, billion. Try, well, I say I, I well I say only, but right you, you you can work with yeah and and discover some sampling techniques for that because when when, when you think about IPv6 and you know it's already ten percent now of the inter, of of the inter, of adoption for that. When that becomes even more and everything becomes IPv6 or more things become IPv6, we, we can't possibly work with all that data and mass the, with at least the current technology that we have. So we're going to have to come up with some way to do that sampling. So if you if you can do that, um, it would be a pretty awesome project yeah. I think, to work yeah, on. Yeah, and so 4 billion is not, I mean, it is, it is a, a lot of IP addresses, but to your point, it's going to get a lot bigger. Yep, definitely. Well, thanks, Bob, for joining me for uh, episode 26. It was good to be here, Jay. The Data Driven Security Podcast is produced by Bob Rudis and Jay Jacobs and is a Creative Commons endeavor. Feel free to syndicate the content, just give us an act back. And if you like our podcast, please visit us on your favorite podcasting service and provide feedback and or rating. To submit your questions, suggest a topic, or share your experiences, please visit the topic request link on the Data Driven Security blog. The short link for that is dds.ec q. Be sure to check out the book, Data Driven Security, anywhere fine books, perhaps obscure books, are sold.